Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that as we look into your word this morning. Lord, and as we consider the events of your death and burial. Lord, and just this whole message through Easter season, Lord, we do ask that you would open our heart. Lord, that we would focus upon you and what you did in the truth of your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm uh, trying to get myself together here. You open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. And uh, if you have been here, these how many weeks that we've been going through the whole story of leading up to next Sunday, our celebration of Easter, that it's been kind of a hectic little journey, I think, that so far things haven't gone especially good, that Jesus was arrested, that a bunch of his followers abandoned him. He went on trial and seemed to have lost and judgment handed down that he was going to be crucified, which he was crucified. And it brings us up to this point right here, that he is on the cross and Tripp shared the last couple of weeks about the uh, crucifixion, how gnarly and final that it was. Um, Crucifixion was an effective method of death. The outcome, always death. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The death and burial of Jesus. In Luke, Chapter 23, verse 46, it says here, Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So, um, Tripp was sharing about this coming Friday being Good Friday, and this is actually what takes place on Good Friday, what here. So what we're talking about this morning is really what goes on on Good Friday. And in considering these scriptures that I had, the death and burial of Christ, thinking about how to approach it, that I want it to be more than just theological information. 
I don't know if that's me. Am I making that sound? The wind? Okay. Um, I want it to be more than theological information. Like we can go through all the stuff and, and kind of think about the uh, different sorts of, you know, little pieces that get put in. But I want us to consider this morning the emotional intensity of what just happened. What did we read there? That Jesus is dead. After the arrest, the trial, the judgment, the crucifixion, that Jesus is dead. After all that disciples have been through, with Jesus for the last three and a half years. After all that we've been through, for five years we've been in the Gospels, getting up to this point here, and a combination of all four Gospels. Then we finally get here, and I want us to kind of consider this morning that imagine you don't know the rest of the story. So we've just gone. If you never heard the story before, just as those guys then in this time, that they didn't especially know what was coming next. All they know is that Jesus is dead at this time. How do you think that they felt? All the different people involved. The religious leaders the crowds, the apostles and the disciples, Pilate and Herod. Jesus is still on the cross, but He's dead. For some, it was a celebration. Seemingly, the forces of evil have triumphed. In Luke chapter 22, verse 53 Jesus, unlike foretelling his death, it says here that he said to the chief priests and officers, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So this is their time right now. The Messiah is dead. In Mark chapter 15, verse 31, as Jesus was on the cross, that it says that the chief priests and the scribes were mocking Him, saying, He saved others, but He cannot save Himself. Matthew chapter 27. Again, people mocking, and they're saying, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So Jesus is up on the cross. That people are mocking Him. The religious status quo is secure. Their purpose was to eliminate the problem. And 
Let me just say this morning that I kind of felt like through this and as I looked at the text and kind of thinking about the whole story, you know, and, and this is probably at least have started off as being a pretty uh, uh, sobering, serious message, which it is because the time was serious. And I'm sure that everybody there, everybody around that had seen Jesus and seen the miracles and heard the teachings and all of the, the upheaval that was taking place and now all of a sudden, He's dead. In John chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus says to the apostles, Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Now interesting, the world will rejoice. Jesus is dead and he predicted that the world is going to rejoice. Why? In John 3 verse 19, Jesus says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And the world is rejoicing at Jesus' death because there is no accountability. In John 3, Jesus also said there, finishing off that thought, was that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and they don't want to come into the light lest their evil deeds be exposed. Jesus is dead. And for some people, it was a celebration. The religious leaders... Their goal was to eliminate the problem. It looks like the enemies of Jesus have succeeded in putting an end to this movement. For some, it's a tragedy. His apostles and disciples have by this time abandoned him for fear of their own lives. And the apostles, if you remember, they got out in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus. And they all took off fearing for their life lest something happen to them as it was happening to Jesus. Now consider what they thought. That they just bailed out on Jesus... And now he's dead. In my considering of it, it seemed like it was easy to believe in Jesus when he was walking on water, or healing the man born blind, or feeding the thousands, or casting out a demon, or even when he was tearing up things in the temple. Easy to believe in Him in His strength. But now Jesus was dead. In utter weakness. 
and an application for us. What about us as disciples of Jesus? It's a challenge to us. Is it easier for us to believe in God when He shows His strength? But what about when He seems to be silent? What about when He seems He lets weakness remain? When we don't get the answer from Him that we really want? Do we abandon Him? Do we think less of Him? Throughout the arrest, the trial, the judgment, the crucifixion, Jesus seems to be weak. He seems to allow the unfair. Showing weakness when He could have shown power. But it is God's purpose in the death of Jesus. In John chapter 22, verse 27, Jesus says that He is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. For this purpose. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus again saying, For this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life so I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Jesus is dead, and that was the plan. And He is dead, and He's not dead because they killed Him. He's dead because He willingly went towards that. And they didn't take his life from him. He says that he lays it down on his own accord, on his own initiative. By his choice in obedience to the plan of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says here that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm going to be reading, starting in verse 4. It says here, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus is dead at this point in this story here. But it's good news. For each and every one of us. First Peter chapter 3 verse 18. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The enemies of Christ did not have the victory, but Christ did. Out of love for us, The the way of salvation is made through Jesus for each and every one of us. It was God's plan all along. He gave up His life willingly in obedience to God's plan of salvation that we might live in Him. John chapter 3 verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this death was for a purpose. This death actually, and let me uh, tell you that this morning, I was considering it because I grew up as a Catholic, and, and I have been through 63 Easter services. And I've heard this story countless times. And something that can happen that I, I hope is not going to happen in and, and dealing with this text really helped me to think more on it. That sometimes this story loses its weight. Because we've heard it. We've been through the, to the Easter services. We've heard, we know the story, we know the ending, on and on and on and on. But I want us to consider, and you know, even this week, and I thought, man, maybe that's appropriate, that as we head to Good Friday, which is when this happened? Maybe it's good that we hear this story now. And we have all week to think about it. All week to consider and and 
Maybe we're saved. Maybe we're a Christian. We have accepted the sacrifice. But you know what? I don't want it to be any less weighty in my life. Because I've heard it over and over. Yeah, okay, yeah. I know, I know the whole story. I want it to be important this year. As important as it ever was. And it's probably going to take some time and some meditation in each one of our lives, in my life, this week to think about it. Because you know what? This story is no less important today than it was in the time that we're reading it here. Luke chapter 23, verses 50 to 56, dealing with the burial of the body of Jesus. It says here, And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock where, there, where no one had ever laid. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid and they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. I want to read real quick because in the Gospel of John, it gives us a little more detail on this guy, Joseph. It says here, Joseph being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission And he came and took away his body. And it goes on to say that Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys about a hundred pounds in weight. So in this story, up to this point, Jesus is dead. He's still on the cross. And two guys... Step forward. One of them, Joseph, who's a prominent guy in religious circles. It says that he's a rich guy. He's wealthy, well off. And it says that he's a disciple, but a secret one. For fear of the Jews. And it also comes up about Nicodemus. Joins in with him. And in John chapter 3, it talks about Nicodemus, who is also high up in religious circles. And he comes to Jesus by night because he's interested and he has some questions. If you read in there in John 3, Jesus ends up telling him that you must be born again. And he doesn't know anything about it. Never heard that before. But it says here that Nicodemus, possibly a secret disciple also. 
Now, how is it that the apostles and some of the disciples that traveled with Jesus and were closest to Him have abandoned Him? And in this time of Jesus' death, that two secret disciples step forward. They come out of the shadows. They've been in hiding, but for some reason, they're moved to get the body of Jesus off the cross and buried. In John chapter 4, verse 18, it says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love Cast out fear. And I had an interesting conversation after the first service with another guy. And we were kind of talking about this. Man, what moved these two guys that while Jesus was alive, had a hard time stepping forward. But after he was dead, when nobody else apparently did, these two guys moved in their love or their respect for Jesus. They were secret disciples no longer. At this time, they took a stand for Christ. Noted in the Word that we read this every year about these guys. And I think that it's a challenge for us. What about us? Are we secret disciples for fear of what others might say? Or what others might think of us? Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, Everyone who confesses me before men... I will also confess them before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, them I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Where do you stand with Him? And you know what? In church... Every Sunday, these doors are open. Anyone can come in here. But coming to church does not make you a disciple of Jesus. That at some point, we need to take a stand. Are we a disciple of Jesus? Where do we stand for Jesus? Do we stand for Jesus in our communities? Do we stand for Him in all of our relationships? Do we stand for Him in our families? Do we stand for Him on our jobs? And I'll tell you honestly, this week, man, I looked at that and I went, boy, I'm... Partially a secret disciple. 
And it's easy to stand for Jesus here on Sunday. Right? This is the easiest place to stand for Jesus because we're a majority here. But when we go out in our neighborhoods, on our jobs, we might be a minority. And it's a little more challenging. A challenge for us, just as Joseph and Nicodemus. After all that time that they were secret disciples, they step out of the shadows and take a stand for him. In verse 53 here, he says that Joseph took the body down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him, Jesus, in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had been laid. And you can read in another gospel, it says that it was Joseph's own tomb. So Joseph, along with Nicodemus, take the body of Jesus down from the cross. And I read this over so many times in the last couple of weeks. And for some reason, that really stood out to me. And maybe I never considered the small details of this story. Jesus was still up on the cross. He was still nailed there. And Joseph, Nicodemus, whoever else, their assistants went over there that they took the body of Jesus down. Now think about it. What do you think Jesus was like at that time? He was still bloodied. His body was still broken. That's what they took down off of the cross. Now consider that Jesus' blood probably got on them. They're taking down a dead body, and I've never handled a dead body, especially one that was all bloody. But Jesus' blood got all over them. Maybe a picture for us. That we want Jesus' blood to be on us. Spiritually. They had to do everything. It says here that they took the body of Jesus down. They wrapped it in a cloth and laid it in Jesus' tomb. Why? Because Jesus was dead. He could do nothing for himself. They did it all. So they took down that limp body. A picture of complete weakness. And when I was thinking about it, I thought, man, this is an excellent analogy of the gospel to us. A dead person can do nothing for themselves. In Ephesians 
chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, it says here, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, You have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In Romans chapter 5.16 it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We cannot save ourselves. It's only through the work of Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. In these scriptures here, Jesus is dead and buried. But this is not the end of our story. You know, I'm thinking about it this week and and heading towards Easter, and I thought, man, boy, did to probably be more effective because at this point, I'm not sure who knew that on Sunday Jesus was going to be alive again. At this point, I think everybody thought He was dead and gone. But we do know the story. We know what happens, and this week we have an opportunity. Ryan, as Tripp was sharing about the uh, um, reaching out and inviting people, I hope that these weeks and what we read today, that we can really realize the weight of the message. That people's eternities are in the balance. It's not just an Easter service. It's not just inviting someone to church. There's a spiritual eternity at stake in people's lives. And what's going to happen on Sunday and what we're going to be involved in, each and every believer is called to that. 
Okay, and I hope that this week, as we move towards that, and as we maybe consider, because there's kind of two sides to Easter. One is inviting people and, and being involved and, and doing all of that. The other one, I hope that it's going to help us, that we're going to meditate on it, right? As Tripp was saying, for a Good Friday, for us to meditate on what happened. You know what? I want to get to Easter Sunday. And I want it to be because Easter Sunday really was for me. Because there was one day that I realized that Jesus died for me. And that I could be born again. And I took that step of faith and stepped out. And I hope that for all of us who are believers, that you know what? We are going to remember that we're going to meditate on that, what Easter means to us. The other thing is that we need to consider that there are people that do not know Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So for some people, maybe it seems like a foolish message. But for some people, this week, it's going to be a life-changing message. In verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also freely give us all things? Will this Easter, and you know what, this week be a celebration of what God has done for each and every one of us. That salvation is available to everyone. What seemed like a tragedy was really God's victory. Salvation is here. Our sins can be forgiven. We must have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do. Thank you so much for your gift. Lord, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that Christ died for us. And you were gracious enough to open our hearts and our eyes to see the reality of that. Lord, and I do pray that 
just the weight and the importance of salvation would be on our hearts this whole week. Lord, as we consider people that don't know you, Lord, that are going to come on Sunday morning and hear that message. Lord, we do pray that the Holy Spirit would work in each one of their lives. Lord, and as people make a commitment that they take a stand for you that morning. Lord, we do pray that there would be fruit that remains. We thank you so much for saving us. We thank you that Christ died for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.